This is Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Welcome to Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Today we meet Ken Mazik to discuss the role identity plays in modern political discourse, the allegations made against Israel by so-called progressives of washing, pink, sports, vegan, you choose. It's the idea that Israel indulges in progressive initiatives to wash away these false allegations, even libels, of war crimes and apartheid made against them. And through this amazing podcast journey, we've become friends. We met again. For those who listen, for those who are willing to listen, this is Johnny Gould's Jewish State. And in a separate conversation coming up, we delve into a debate, a disputation even, which Ken actually volunteered for on why the Jewish state should be disbanded, an argument made by a fellow Jew, Ariel Gold. Ken Mazik is a campaigner, a writer, a social media influencer, and speaker for Israel, for Mizrahim, the Eastern Jews, and on LGBTQ issues, and for the prospects of peace with the Palestinians. Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Bringing Israel and the diaspora together. This episode discusses how Mizrahim, the biggest group of Jewish Israelis from countries like Iraq, Iran, Syria, Morocco and Tunisia, are being galvanised to improve their status in the country. But we also go to the heart of a new lexicon in a new political agenda, how those new forms of delegitimization and prejudice are being used against the Jewish state. Pinkwashing, veganwashing, Mizrahim are a detached subsect of Palestinians, and Jews have white privilege? No, they don't. I don't think there's white Jews. I think once you're a Jew, you have, you're not white, and, and white people will try to kill you. <laughs> but all these new arguments and washing terms are problematic. Did you see a Pride event recently, perhaps in North America, where the local Jewish LGBT community was banned from joining the parade? The global LGBT community say they can't celebrate Israel's gay rights as they're actually cover for Israel's so-called war crimes. And Israeli veganism too, well that makes them like Nazis, because they didn't eat meat either. I'm being serious, this is argued, and Chen is right with it. And as these echo chambers on social media build, so it seems, do language barriers. Which begs another question. If anti-Semitism changes and mutates through time, just imagine the fuss when the IHRA definition has to be updated. Chen is a social media director for major corporations, and what's so engaging about him is his message of unity among all Jews to build a peace with Palestine through their identity, even though he says that's only been around since 1967. Uh, it will be easier to call it the West Bank for me, but yeah, it is Judea and Samaria, and I do believe in our claim to this land and our indigenous roots to this to this area. We came from Judea, like this is this. It is ours. There is no argument about it. The Palestinians were uh, came later. Uh, their connection is limited. Um, they, they didn't have an identity they didn't, as, as a people before before 1967, before right. we took over this area. So now you're right-wing friends. You've got right-wing friends now. Now tell me the left-wing stuff. <laughs> but He calls himself a bad progressive because he opposes many so-called progressive ideas when they clash with Jewish progressive values. His Mizrahi advocacy is a frank and open discussion about how a new consensus can build out of a fast-developing Israel. 
Chen came out while serving as a soldier to his commanding officer, who showed him nothing but support. He talks up every aspect of his identity and life experience, and he goes around the world talking on college campuses. Here in London in 2016, he was exposed to a highly charged protest of intimidation which threatened violence, and but for heavy security and policing, it might have ended in anarchy. He was shocked and taken aback at the level of hate. BDS supporters threatened to break down the doors of UCL, University College London, where he'd been invited to speak and they were screaming from the river to the sea and free, free Palestine and quotes like, in the 21st century, we do not need a majority Jewish state. But his role in the IDF was actually as a humanitarian. He was part of COGAT of the Israeli Ministry of Defence, charged with managing Zone C in Hebron, Hebron, over 50% of the city where most of the Jews of Judea and Samaria live. He was taking care of civilian matters, humanitarian missions and, and help in economic and infrastructure projects in the Palestinian-controlled areas. Instead, the protesters accused Chen of engaging in war crimes. It seemed Chen's very Israeliness, Jewishness, was what it was really about, but he returned defiantly to speak at the college again in January 2018. Chen's humanitarian role in the IDF was moulded by a childhood experience, something most Israelis, let alone the rest of us, will ever experience. A bystander at an ice cream shop, 12-year-old Chen was literally blown out of the shop by a suicide bomber. Now, that murdering bomber killed a grandma and her two-year-old granddaughter. And as the Netanyahu era trundles into its autumn, we ask Chen about the possibility of a career in Israeli politics. And as a commentator who enrages both the left and the right, inspiring extraordinary emotions in both, just by recounting his history through his own background, it's appealing to ask him, is the world going mad? Here's Chen Mazig. Well, while we are of different, supposedly different background, we, we share the same story. You're not an Arab Jew. Oh. You're a Mizrahi. We just started, are you? <laughs> but this is important because I is. see this too. It is. Um, Mizrahim, Jews in exile from Canaan, came before the Arabs. Yeah. Came before Islam, long before it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and there's a whole new trend now that, you know, to try and erase our, our identity, uh, identity of Israelis and Jews, um, in a way that is always trying to find terms to to really uh, divorce us from the Arab Jews and Palestinian Jews and, uh, and pinkwashing and all those terms. It's all about trying to, to erase our identity. And, and it's, uh, you know, I can appreciate my Arabic culture. I can appreciate Arabic food, my family's food, the music. Israel, Israelis in general appreciate Mizrahi music. What is Mizrahi music? It's music with Arabic roots. But we were never Arabs. We were never accepted as Arabs. When, and we were always treated as Jews. And that's, uh, and, and it's, interesting to see that that this trend also coming from a lot of Mizrahi Jews in the, in the US many of not a lot but you know some of them that are bringing this topic up and it's uh, it's important for us to really uh, call it out rewind a second 
pinkwashing. It is my journalistic duty to learn four new words every week, and pinkwashing is one of the latest ones. Explain to us what pinkwashing is. So uh, pinkwashing is is not what you what happened when you put a red sock with uh, white uh, sheets in the <laughs> in the laundry. Yeah, that's that's a different uh, pinkwashing. The, the term pinkwashing started. Uh, I think it, it was used before to to call out breast cancer uh, a movement on products to put a, a pink uh, ribbon on products to say they're you know supporting fighting uh, uh, breast cancer. But in honesty, they didn't. give much you know and that's that was uh, the term was used for it and then Judith Butler, Butler I think she's a historian from New York she started using the term to to describe how Israel is uh, using its LGBTQ community to uh, to whitewash or pinkwash uh, the the crimes that, the, that we are committing um, or the atrocities that we're allegedly committing um, which is ridiculous and, and I think you know that now that we are talking about pinkwashing uh, in, in around the world people are saying you Um, that we should not speak about Israeli LGBTQ community because we there's still a conflict with the Palestinians that um, we shouldn't be yeah it's it's insane and, and that we shouldn't be celebrated we shouldn't be discussed as long as there's a conflict and it's uh it's you know as I said before it's really part of this whole trend and agenda that is very clear you know we, we need to turn Israel into, into a pariah state and everything Israel does anything and everything is uh, uh, is wrong it's bad we can't talk about now they're saying there's vegan washing that Israel is saying that That they're very big in but it's not uh, but it's to cover up for the atrocities and there was an article once about how many of the Nazis were also vegan and that's why Israelis are vegan because we are we are so you know trying to separate between the crimes the problem is that people are actually falling into it and, and believing it and I think that's um, uh, it's really dangerous yes because LGBT rights as I'm finding out very fast and is a modern-day schism, isn't it, in the world of human rights. Uh, they are being hijacked, and much of the LGBTQ community appear to be anti-Israel, like you say. The only country in the Middle East that actually supports gay rights, how do they consolidate in their heads that in Gaza they throw gay men off a house and, you know, they hang them in Iran? Right. What's, what, are they, what are they thinking? They're not thinking. Yeah. It's... You know what whatever Arab countries and Muslim countries are doing is okay we need to understand them because this is their culture and we need to accept it but but Israel is being perceived as a Western country that uh, must adhere to standards that are unimaginable that even America and England would not be would not be judged by those standards um, so even the LGBTQ uh, progress that we're making is uh, what they're saying is that as LGBTQ people around the world they have to fight for any injustice and all injustice and that the intersectionality means that being Being queer also means that you have to fight for every other minority in the world and the most urgent thing uh, the most pressing issue is not the people in Syria it's not the people in Iraq it's not the gay people that are being hanging in Iran it's not what's going on in Darfur in Sudan that only three weeks after we hear about hundreds of people being uh, I mean killed and ethnic cleansing that is going on there and people are saying that it's because they're Muslim which they're not it's, it's the Muslims that are killing the um, the tribal people in Sudan but even that was twisted around and Um, so yeah so they think that the most pressing issue is the Palestinians that um, that while I I'll be the first to say that you know there's a lot of work to be done and what Israel is doing um, is not perfect we're gonna talk about that article you wrote where you got well done for this getting attacked by the left and the right I mean this is really you know muzzle top very impressive so. <laughs> to be attacked by both sides so um, first of all is it am I going to talk about Judea and Somalia in this conversation or the West Bank you know well, what do we do here? 
you've got a big military experience mm-hmm. in Judea and Samaria, West Bank. Right. I know what I want to call it. <laughs> I want to call it Judea and Samaria. Right. But uh, you've been attacked by the left and the right, so shoot. <laughs> What's the layout? Your uh, it will be easier to call it the West Bank for me, but yeah, it is Judea and Samaria, and I do believe in our claim to this land and our indigenous roots to this. But this area, we came from Judea. Like this is this. It is ours. There's no argument about it. The Palestinians were uh, came later. Uh, their connection is limited. Um, they, they didn't have an identity they did, as, as a people before before 1967, before right. we took over this area. So now you're right wing friends. You've got right wing friends now. Now tell me the left wing stuff. <laughs> but as someone that served there, and um, my work in the IDF was uh, um, was to be a humanitarian officer. Um, I was a liaison officer to the UN. And my work was to help the Palestinians through promoting humanitarian projects. And um, it's really a job that everyone hates you uh, wherever you serve, especially in Hebron, because, you know, the UN hated me because I was a soldier in uniforms. The Palestinians still saw me as a soldier, even though I was helping them. Uh, the combat soldiers saw me as this guy running with the Geneva Convention after them, telling them what they can and cannot do. Um, and, and the settlement movement, you know, the, the Jewish settlers also saw me as a collaborator with the other side. I mean, you're here to give us protection. Why are you helping the Palestinians? Um, so it, I think I got a lot of insights uh, from doing this work for five years. And I and I do think that there is a pro. I, I think that the Palestinians now will not accept Israeli identity. I'm sure they some of them would want it and some of them would move to Israel and they will have great conditions, definitely. Um, but I think they formed their own national identity at this point. And I think that they've been promised by their leadership. And Israel has failed to really make a case to say, you know, if we if we wanted to attach this land and if we wanted to make them Israelis, we should have made it. We should have brought it up much earlier. But I think now we are at a point that their the, the national identity of Palestinians was formed. They were promised that they're going to get a country of their own. Um, a lot of them are anti-Semitic. A lot of the, the ideas that are being promoted are anti-Semitic, clearly. Um, but that doesn't mean um, that they are unworthy of the country. And I think that us, as Jewish people, we need to be the first people to say when a, when a people are being mistreated, and the Palestinians have been mistreated, not, not only by, by Israel. I mean, we have seen that we're making problems. It's nothing like what they're saying that we're doing. I mean, uh, Israel is not perfect, is the point. But I don't think Israel was the worst abuser of the Palestinians. I think that who abused the Palestinians the worst was the, the EU, was the international community, the UN, uh, and UNRWA. the Arab League, and, and UNRWA, that until today are being, you know. So I personally, what I think that the solution should be is a country. I don't know how it's going to look like. I don't know where it's going to be. And I, and I do think that if it's a country, they need to adhere to international standards like Israel is being expected, uh, including allowing Jews to live in their country. And if they're not doing it, then they can't get a country. And until now, they're, they're not agreeing to it. But I do support their, their rights for a state. You're listening to Johnny Gould's Jewish State. If you like my regular podcasts, please think about making a donation. My podcasts are free, and I want to keep them free, and so donations really help me keep them that way. Head over to my donations page at www.patreon.com slash johnnygould. Right, and you just hinted on not answering the question that I was going to ask you next. Where is uh, the new state going to be? Is it going to be in Jordan? Is it going to be in Judea and Samaria? Is it going to be in Gaza and North Sinai, as my good friend Sergeant Benjamin Anthony and Amir Avivi have suggested 
lengthening down into North Sinai. That seems like a nice place as well. Lots of coast. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if uh, if coast uh, um, are working for the past day as we saw what ended up in Gaza. You know, even the coast was not enough. Um, to create an economy there, um, you know, I'm very hopeful about this uh, about Trump uh, deal and, and the idea that they're bringing up. I, I really think that uh, economic prosperity is uh, is the way to peace, and I do know I know it from firsthand experience in the field. Uh, when a Palestinian man has a good job, when his kids are educated, when he drives a nice car, and all of his needs are answered, um, it's going to be very hard to convince him to go out and blow himself up on the bus, like. It, it's going to be very difficult to do it. Right now, when they are being promised that they're getting salaries, that their families are going to be taken care of, uh, and you become a shahid, you're giving yourself um, for a bigger cause, it's, you know, they're doing it. And I think that's the fear of the PA, uh, of, the, of everyone that really are against this deal. Uh, they're afraid, and their fear should be a, a, you know, a, a signal to us that this is the right approach, and we just need to go with it harder. I'm always happy to meet up with my friend Hen Mazig, and uh, this time I got a chance to catch up with him after the uh, extraordinary uh, Zionism versus anti-Zionism debate. Perhaps more extraordinary for the fact that his anti-Zionist opponent was Jewish. I never really understand uh, this idea of uh, Jews actually wanting to abolish the state of Israel, and I was hoping that Hen might enlighten me on that you know when you come across opponents you try to sort of understand their um their beef and uh i don't i don't think Chen does either and uh we're gonna we're gonna talk to Chen about that now so here is Chen mazig in conversation with me in london it's always a pleasure to see Chen mazig so anyone who's anyone saw the video with you and ariel gold now some of us would draw the line and not speak to someone who actively wants to abolish Israel. Mm. So when I saw this advertised, I thought this is a disputation. The idea that you would be, you know, talking to someone, you know, from 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 a church, or you know, uh, it, it, talking to a minority and trying to dispute everything that you were saying. But the difference is that we're in the 21st century. She's a Jew. This is Jew on Jew. I, yeah. I just, I literally don't understand what her arguments were. Yeah, well, me neither. It's very hard to, to make sense of anything she says or said in the past. And I guess that's that's a part of why I decided to, to go along with this debate. You know, I don't want someone that will rationalize anti-Semitism and, and that, you know, an anti-Semitic Jewish professor that will come up with you know, ideas of, of why it's okay to hate the Jews. I wanted someone like her to be the face of hatred of Jewish people because she is ridiculous. Yeah, the, the idea that she wants to abolish Israel and replace it with uh, what, like a kind of a European state with free movement. Uh, is, that, is that the sort of idea? I, I think she's, yeah, she's aiming towards an Arab majority state right. with Jews being minority and, you know, and, and being dimmies. That's, that's, a, that's a term that my right. family is familiar with in, when this happened to us in Iraq and in Tunisia, when we were a minority that was um, left to the grace of our uh, Arab rulers. And, and we saw how that happened, how that ended up. So to arrive at this, there are about what, 7 million Jews in Israel now. Mm -hmm. um, many of them would not like it. There is that military, and there would be one hell of a war to achieve this. Yeah. So what is her starting point 
to create what would obviously be some sort of Holocaust with the massive resistance of a modern Jewish state. Where does that start? I, I do don't think she has any that? plan. No, I, don't, I, I, do, I do understand what you're saying. I, I don't think she has any plan. Um, I think she's just throwing ideas. I, I mean, even in the debate when I was asking her, where do you want you know, Jewish refugees to go? Where do you yeah. want the refugees from Ethiopia? There's 2,000 of them that are going to be brought to Israel. Just last week they had a debate on it. Uh, and it was passed by, by government resolution. And, and she said, well, I'm not against Jewish people going uh, to Israel as a refugee, but it shouldn't be Israel. Um, we should allow all the Palestinian refugees uh, and their descendants and their descendants and their descendants, we're talking about over 7 million, 8 million people, to return to a place they've never been to, um, to Israel. Right. Um, so the next question that I'm thinking about here is Spain. She then came up with this absolute belter, <laughs> saying that because she was of Sephardi origin, and I think is gold, Allegedly, by the way, yeah. <laughs> which, so she didn't have to do that, she said she was indigenous to Spain. Mm. Now, if that really is the case, in the 15th century, her great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents mm. made the decision mm. to stay Jewish and therefore fled Spain. Otherwise, they would be in the gene pool yeah. of the Spanish people okay. who are called Rubin and who are called Castro and who are called Nadal and Rafael and all those people who are of Jewish descent who look a bit Jewish yeah. along the way but you know are now you know Spanish people um, Catholic people but her family didn't does she does she understand that you know that, that you know uh, that she's going against actually her own ethnic identity, who she became, who she's the, the children of. The violence that her ancestors have endured in Spain, allegedly, if she is Spanish, because then she, she also tweeted a week later that she did a DNA test and she's 99% uh, Ashkenazi Jew, which I think <laughs> something like the oh, whole man. thing is a bit a mess. But even if she was a party, as you said, like the, to the, her ancestors endured such violence and ethnic cleansing to stay Jewish, and she's claiming that she's um, Spanish. So there is a culture war going on in Israel of which she is the manifestation of, except that she's not Israeli, she's an American. Mm. Um, but there are hard left, I think that's the word, Jews in Israel who want to disband the country for a majority Arab state with all the civil war and... A like tiny a minority, piece. a very yeah. tiny minority. But does. I mean, they would have served in the army, right? They would have been... You know, they're taxpayers in Israel, you know, they speak Ivrit and they are Jews. How, how, where do they, how do they, how do they live? You know, how, how does that work? How do you deny who you are like that? I guess that you're uh, so distant and so uh, um, distant from, from the day-to-day -day reality and you don't have the, you know, that you have the luxury of, of being protected and shielding your own community that is sitting in uh, in salons and speaking about, you know, in cocktail parties about how uh, amazing it will be if Israel was part of Europe and how we, you know, we wish that Israel was just something else, not, not this Middle Eastern country with a Middle Eastern soul. Unfortunately, it is a Middle Eastern country. We are Middle Eastern people. We always have been. And this, and, and even our discussion about this Ashkenazi, Sephardi, Mizrahi, this is diaspora, diaspora identities. It's, it's very foreign to what we really are as Jews. We're all Jews. We all came from Judea. That's, that's where Jews come from. 
Yeah. You know, when you engage with, I don't know, an enemy is the wrong word. I would never call her an enemy, even though yeah. she might think I am an enemy. Yeah, she definitely Right, okay. <laughs> but, but, you know, you have to, like, you, you, when you think about the Palestinians or, you know, the Iranians or the Turks, you try and understand their history to a certain extent. I am, I'm genuinely struggling yeah. to work out actually what her beef is. I mean, is she just projecting the hate of someone in her own family? Does she sort of hate someone who did something to her or hurt her or the Jewish people she resents? Is she just projecting that on you? I, I, or, I, find, all of us? I find that a few anti-Zionist Jews, they're, they're very permanent ones. I can think of uh, one, the, the girl that um, is part of If Not Now and um, Jewish uh, woman, her name is Sophie Elman Golan. And she's very anti-Zionist, uh, part of the Women's March, defending anti-Semites. And her dad was the head of uh, Birthright Israel. Right. And, they, right. and he divorced from her mom and she, right. And I think there's something there. Right. So, so I, think, I think you have a point there. But, but with that being said, you know, it's, it's, um, uh, uh, the history will not make sense for them. Uh, and they won't be able to make sense of history. Because history just shatters their whole debate. The facts have no relation to to any any of their arguments of, of anti-Zionist yeah. Jews, because you're not a Jew if you're not if you're, not, you're you are a Jew. I'm not going to gatekeep and say he was a Jew and he was not, but you can't be fully um, practice your fully Jewish identity. You practice something else, yeah. but not praying to Israel, not thinking that Israel is is part of, of who you are, not understanding how central it is, and uh, you know, Shema Israel is is all about Israel, and, and the yeah. laws there are all about uh, um, what you need to do in the land of Israel. As I wrote in my article in news. In Newsweek, we are a very um, agriculture and, and land-based land uh, religion. Uh, that's that's what uh, what Judaism is, and that's what Jewish people are. Be on the right side of history with Chen Mazik. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's always a great pleasure. Me, now, one of the reasons why you became a humanitarian IDF soldier was the experience you had as a twelve-year-old, which uh, just sounds so terrible. You were a bystander blown out of an ice cream shop by a suicide bomber. Mm -hmm. What feelings came out of that immediate attack did you hate? And do you remember being blown off your feet? All uh, those questions. Yeah, I, I do remember some of it. It's, uh, it's blurry and I remember parts of, you know, I remember falling on the ground. I remember getting up after a few minutes. Um, uh, then I remember myself back home with my mom. Um, it, it was horrible. It was... Uh, terrible feeling it's uh, um, it's something you know it's it's so dark um, there's no way to describe it but very dark it's uh, really almost touching death and I think uh, it's something that um, you, you can go either way you either become very hateful and very you know and blaming finding someone to blame um, which in the first moments that was that's what I was doing I kept I ran back home crying and, and just thinking how someone was trying to kill me right now someone was trying to kill me to take my life away um, but when I got back home to my mom, my mom was kept on saying, you're alive, you're alive, you're alive. And, and my mom really changed this, this whole thing for me because instead of focusing, oh, and you know, it's a mother that just almost lost her 12-year-old kid. And I think it's so admirable that instead of um, focusing on what happened, she's just focusing on the future. And that's really symbolic to Israel and Israelis that you know, we're not looking at the past. And Jews in general, yeah, that we're not looking at the past so much. And even if we are looking at the past, it's about how we grow and how we ensure a better future. And that's, that's what my mom did. So very um, uh, uh, pivotal part of my life. 
So London is a place in which, here we are, you encountered some really quite disturbing opposition with uh, one lecture at University College, October 2016, bringing out 100 protesters. I think 300, that was the number. 300, yeah, Yeah. let's make it bigger. (laughs) The protesters accused you of engaging in war crimes, presumably because you put an IDF uniform on, but you returned. You came back to speak at that college in January 2018 under stronger security. I mean, how shocking was that for you? This this whole experience was shocking. I mean, they knew. I mean, at least you're famous. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And this and Matt's exam. Boo. <laughs> Game. Yeah. yeah, that's. Uh, I'm I'm famous in the wrong circles. Um, but uh, yeah, that's true. And it, it wasn't. I mean, in 2014, it was the first time that I experienced this hatred when. Um, about 80 students walked out of my event at, at King's College, and then I, I knew that there was a problem. But what I saw in UCL was really disturbing. It was shocking. People jumping through the windows, banging on the doors, um, while me and 10 Jewish students are locked in a room, being uh, you know afraid for our lives. And I was just—I remember being there and thinking, you know, how is this Europe of 2018 back then? How is it? How is it legitimate? How no one is doing anything about it? And then when I came back, it was for me it was supposed to be a sign that you know I'm I'm not gi- I'm not giving up. It's not just for me; it's for the Jewish students and to remind those anti-Semites that we are not going to to give up and um, um, that we are strong. But I don't know if the second event at UCL was was the powerful statement that I wanted to because I had to have you know 30 security people escorting me in and out. The location of the event was given 30 minutes before the event, so people won't protest. And then there was a protest outside, um, um, and all of it is because I served in the IDF, you know. And they're saying that, you know, while they're okay with Israelis and Jews, um, the only the, the only issue that they have is with people that served in the IDF. Well, most of Israelis served in the IDF, and, and my job, if anyone, if if you can, if there's any job that you should support in the IDF as a, as a pro-Palestinian advocate, it should be the job that I was doing. It should be the service that I gave. Um, and even I, I am challenged, um, and I think it's because of their fear of this message coming across, and that's why that's what actually promotes me to continue speaking and continue traveling the world. Um, I'm making a difference, and, and them being afraid of me is the is the clear sign that I that I should never stop. And just a reminder, I think at this point that Israel is not in Afghanistan, it's not in the Falklands, it's not in Cyprus. Yeah. You know. It's fighting a defensive battle to secure its borders. Yeah, that's something that I, I find also in Western audience cannot understand. You know, when the when American soldiers or British soldiers are going to the army, they're not driving two hours two hours from their home. They're you know they're traveling thousands of miles um, on planes. Uh, to go fight for oil or democracy or whatever ideas they want to fight. When when we're going to fight our war, we are driving two hours from our homes knowing that our family, our, my nieces, were back home. And if we make a mistake, the life of our families are, are at risk. Which brings me on to a bit of tourist study here because the Latin-German word for war, guerre, war, is conflict and fighting, whereas milchamor is lechem, it's bread, it's survival, mm-hmm. and I think that is the cultural difference, and of course let's remind ourselves that uh, the Israeli army is called the Israel Defense Force, right. with a big D, Yeah, you know, I think that is the culture of Israeli war, isn't it, of defense? Yeah, it's not a war, we, we also, you know, 
every war we fought was uh, was a defensive war. All we're trying to do is defend ourselves, and that's why this argument about Israel being imperial or colonial country is so ludicrous. I mean. We're, we are 0.03% of the Middle East. Do you really think that if we had colonial or imperial aspirations to take over the whole Middle East, we wouldn't be able to do it? I mean, against armies that are smaller and, and less powerful than us, um, we're, our only goal is to keep our borders safe. And even that is something that the world is challenging us. Meanwhile, you know, the whole Middle East is uh, are fighting wars about borders, about expanding their lands, about getting more control, about getting more power. All we want to do is just be safe in this small piece of land that um, that is being challenged. Let's talk about Mizrahi now. I'm really switched on to your culture and history right now, and permanently, because of course I met and discussed Uprooted, uh, Lynn Julius's magnificent work on 3,000 years of Jewish life, now virtually extinct. Yes. Mm-hmm. I am married to the Sephardi Mizrahi, She is from Casablanca, Morocco. She was born in the old country. And so as a consequence, she's French, of course. But I can't ask you as an Ashkenazi, when I go to Israel, I can't see any lakshan soup or knedel. I have to look a long way. Why do you need to campaign for Mizrahim in Israel? You know, Ivrit is Mizrahi. You know, they won't have any of my pronunciations from Shul. You know, falafel and hummus. You know, that's Mizrahi. Can you support Ashkenazi rights, please? <laughs> uh, I definitely support Ashkenazi rights, <laughs> and I. Um, but while, seriously, like yeah. we're all, we're always the prime minister, aren't we? Yeah. And you guys haven't made that breakthrough. Yeah. So is that what is that your issue? Um, not only. I mean, I. You know, we are the majority of Jews in Israel are Mizrahi. Well, maybe just a statement to begin with, because that's something that I've been charged about a lot. All Jews are indigenous to Israel. That's where we came from. It doesn't matter where we lived, where we resigned in the, in the middle, but we've, we've all came from Judea. We're all Middle Eastern people. Um, but with that being said, many Jews went, not, you know, many Jews went to Europe and lived in Europe and, and became part of the and became part of the European society. It doesn't mean that they lost their Jewish identity. It doesn't mean that they lost their claim to the land and their indigenous roots. Um, but it is important to to understand that many Jews stayed in the Middle East and the Levant for for decades, and and my family are part of it, of them. And I think that what we are witnessing now um, around the world in the debate about Israel in the Middle East is this um, uh, attempt to raise the connection of Jews to Israel by using the Ashkenazi Jews and saying, you know, here are Jews that have some European identity, so they must not be related to Israel. Um, and that's uh, and that's a problem for me. And and I think that. Um, because we have been lost in the debate, the Mizrahi Jews have been lost in the debate, and our and our identity was not mentioned. Um, we all, we are almost losing this argument because when they're saying, you know, what does Ashkenazi Jews and what does Jews have to do with hummus and falafel? People that only know Ashkenazi Jews, and to be frank, most of the Jews in, in America, for instance, most of them are Ashkenazi Jews, uh, and they, or most of them are eating gefilte fish. So when they're saying, you guys are eating gefilte fish, what do you have to do with hummus and falafel? People don't click the two dots, and that's that's part of my effort and, and, my, and my focus is to say, okay, yeah, we might, you know, m- many of us did end up in, in Europe. We all came from Israel, we all came from the Middle East. But the reason that we have Mizrahi food and we have that we have Middle Eastern food and we have Middle Eastern music is because 
many of us are actually stayed in there in in the Middle East that became later on the airboard uh, and and this food that we brought to Israel is our food it's not anyone else's food you know and I think that's that's a big issue that I'm trying to promote in Israel yeah there's still I mean we, we hear now about a, um, a wage gap of 30% between second generation Mizrahi to second generation Ashkenazi or third or fourth as well um, there was never an Israeli prime minister in all the cultural institutions there was never a Mizrahi uh, head of uh, a Bima theater or head of any theater in Israel you know and I see it from the Israeli left uh, the far left in Israel the Ashkenazi far left they really dislike don't like that there's Jews that have um, Arabic background or have Arabic heritage uh, that they would rather up- uplift or Or support the the, uh, the Palestinians because they have nothing to do with them They're, they will never take over the country and that's what I'm hearing from uh, the editor of Aritz on or uh, that the, um, the publisher of Aritz almost shocking that was tweeting about me that I'm stupid that I keep on crying about Miss Rahim uh, that I don't know what I'm talking about um, and that's something that is, is is a big challenge for us and and the, the elite in Israel today the, the left-wing elite that controls the media that controls the um, the academia and and the, and the cultural institutions are uh, that's why they really dislike Miri Regev, the Mizrahi Minister of Culture, because uh, the cultural minister, because she's she's trying to change that, and I think uh, with all of her faults, and, and there's, she has a lot of um, she, she has a lot of things to work on, um, she's still doing something very important, which is to bring the, the Mizrahi into the uh, establishment and into the, 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 establish, the, the cultural institutions, the official cultural institutions, and the academia. Um, that's where we need to work on, and then later on we can discuss uh, Mizrahi Prime Minister. Well, good. Um, I always look to France as a place where the Sephardim, who are now in the majority of the Jews, and of course that is because of the disaster of the Holocaust, let's not make any bones about it, yeah. you know, yeah. but they are beginning to bear fruit in comedy and politics and advertising and all sorts of other things. I'm just wondering whether, despite all the terrible anti-Semitism that's going on in France, actually... There is some sort of diaspora rebirth for Mizrahim and Sephardim that's actually not happening in, um, in Israel. It's happening in France. It might even be happening in California. Yes, yes. And it doesn't have to be in Israel, does it? Right. <laughs> it doesn't. Um, the, the numbers are, indeed, I mean, the, the, the majority of Mizrahim are, um, are in Israel. And that's where Mizrahi culture is still being maintained. But I... Uh, my, maintained and developed in some ways but uh, what you said is it's true I mean you see that uh, Iranian Jews uh, in, in in LA um, are still developing their own identity and and um, and finding and finding what's the common ground to to promote that uh, you see it in France um, a lot of Mizrahi Jews there as well um, when we're talking about Mizrahi in France it's very it's North African uh, Mizrahi that uh, from Morocco Tunisia that also spoke French and, and became part of this um, group and in and in LA or in America it's very Iranian and Persian while we do see other Mizrahi groups it's, it's, it's subgroups of Mizrahi that are coming together and it's important um, But, One of the yeah. purposes, then, of this podcast and this whole project yeah. is universal values with Judaism at its core. I want to heal the world. Yes. Right, Chen. So when we talk about subgroups of Mizrahim, right, I want everyone listening, whether they're Mizrahim or not, and a lot of people aren't, because yeah. I'm an Ashkenazi, rather than being threatened by this, I think this is amazing. I didn't marry my... Uh, Safadi Mizrahi wife to make a point <laughs> but I have found that when I go to their shul and they daven in what appears to sound like, like 
and Arab sound to me, yeah. being from Birmingham, yeah. it's the same. They laugh about the same stuff, they talk about the same stuff. It's in French. Right. We're the same. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, I am all for people expressing their identity and their history. If and when I ever go and live in Israel, there will be an Aston Villa supporters club <laughs> in Tel Aviv. <laughs> you know, I'm taking it with. But in serious, you know, this is all part of a melange of arrival to a higher state of consciousness. No, I, I hear what you're saying, and I think, well, at the end of the day, why do we insist on being Jews? You know, we want to, we are Jews because we are different than others, and it's totally okay to be different than Christians and Muslims, and because that's our that's our shared story, and that's our identity. But we, I think we also need to address, well, we first we need to address the fact that as Jews we have different story and narrative than other groups. Uh, but within the Jewish community, and I, th and I find that this is something that is very triggering to a lot of people, which I, I, it's beyond me to understand why. Because people on the, on the Jewish right wing are telling me, you know, we're all Jews of color, we all are people of color, which I don't think it's true. I, I don't think there's white Jews. I think once you're a Jew, you have, you're not white, and, and white people will try to kill you. Um, people that believe in, in whiteness, um, which is a bit, a bit ridiculous. Um, but... And so I don't think Jews are white, but I do think there's Jews that are there's black Jews that have different experience than um, than, than other Jews, and Ashkenazi, Mizrahi, and Sephardim. And there's Sephardim and Mizrahi that also have a different experience because we have you know we, we have different features, and and there's and the Ashkenazi also have different features than white people. But like you look like some Ashkenazi friends of mine. I could, and pass. I look, yeah. Yeah, but seriously, and I look possibly yeah. like some not not many, but some Sephardi Jews. That's the thing I see echoes of um, people's faces in yeah. ancestry from right across the world. I mm. sort of look at people's faces and think, yeah, you know, I can see that. Right. And um, it's just it's just, whilst all this is important, it's just unimportant too at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I agree, yeah. And, I, and I'm also being, I'm trying to be careful not to fall into this um, um, intersectionality uh, uh, radical ideas that Jews are still a minority and I think it's important for us to be part of this, uh, uh, of this, of, of the progressive movement, and to discuss these issues and bring ourselves into it, but we need to be careful, as you said, not to fall into it, and that's, and that's something that I'm trying to do, you know, I'm, I'm saying, not all Jews, all Jews are not white, I don't think there's a Jew, a Jewish person can, can't also be white um, by choosing to be a Jew, because once you choose to be a Jew, you're a part of a persecuted minority, which by the way, that's what they're asking you when you convert to Judaism, the rab rabbinical council that... Um, that is uh, investigating the new convert is asking them, do you know that you're going to join a prosecuted minority that's been hated all over the world? You do understand that you're trying to become part of it. Now, the age-old anti-Semitism that tries to separate Jews from their connection to Israel is happening again. Anti-Semitism mutates and changes through time. And this kind of latest attempt by the American commentator Mark Lamont Hill to describe Mizrahi Jews as an identity category that has been detached from Palestinian identity. What a load of cobblers that is. And that is English. That is purely English. That is my English coming out. How, this is a serious question, because this comes from Lynn, okay, from Lynn Julius. How can we advance the anti-Arab and Muslim imperialism, colonialism argument, which is obviously sponsored by Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party. Yeah. 
well, I find many people that are trying to advocate for Israel or pro-Israel that are trying to shut down this debate and saying, you know, we're all Jews and that's it. Let's not talk about Mizrahim. We're all Jews. We all came from Israel. Um, but this this argument will not hold water when we have people like Mark Lamontiel, like Linda Sarsour, like uh, Rashida Tlaib, like uh, people in the Congress, like Jeremy Corbyn here, um, that are talking about how we are we have no connection to, to the Middle East and we, we've left the Middle East and now we came back thousands of years after. Um, but the point is that, yes, many of us came, many of us went, were forced out of the Middle East and we came and, 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 and lived in Europe, but some of us came, stayed in the Middle East, many of us, I mean, 850,000 people, um, and I think it's like the, the perfect argument to counter the argument about Palestinian refugees and about how they are, you know, still waiting for justice. Um, you want to talk about justice? Let's talk about justice. Let's talk about what happened to them, to my family, to the 850,000 Jewish refugees from the Middle East and North Africa. We lost five times the size of the state of Israel in land. We, this land that was stolen from us. No one is talking about that. No one is acknowledging it. I mean, now in the British Parliament, there was a yeah. small debate that, that was addressing it. It's great, but it's just one step forward. I think we need to be protesting outside of embassies around the world. We need to speak about social justice. They might think that they can destroy Israel, but they're, they're, I think that many of them are reasonable and they understand that they can destroy Israel. But their their job is to taint us as, as bad people. And that. And I don't think we need to taint them as bad people because they are bad people, the Arab League, and what they have done to my family and them and the Jewish refugees of the Middle East. And we need to continue to demand justice, even if we, if we, if it's unrealistic, even if we're not going to get it. Just by demanding justice and by demanding to be acknowledged, um, it will be the strongest cases we can make against those anti-Israel people. Now, you would be saying these uh, sort of messages at uh, your next public engagement, whether the protesters outside like it or not, the... Jewish writer Richard Zimler is in deep shock because he was rejected by two different UK organisations which had previously expressed interest in hosting him until they found out he was Jewish. Author of Last Kabbalist of Lisbon and the Warsaw Anagram, he described how he'd never expected that his career in the UK would be prejudiced by being Jewish. These are non-Jewish people who, re who don't realise the damage they are doing by not defending Richard Zimmer. That's why it's so important for us as Jewish people to be stronger and louder and we can't allow, we can't be held on the mercy of, uh, um, of organizations and we need to protest those people that reject him uh, and, and academic institutions. That's why I came back to UCL. It wasn't about Chen Mazik showing that I'm strong. I don't need to prove to anyone that I'm strong. It's about showing that the Jewish community will not take that. And I think it's also important, and that's a note, that's a message to Jewish organizations in the UK and in America. Uh, they're saying, well, maybe we'll just be quieter. Maybe we'll just let it pass. Maybe we shouldn't fight back against it. Um, things will get better. Things will not get better. We've seen it before. I mean, how many more uh, reminders do we need in our history to understand that every time that we are silenced, every time that we are not taking a stand, uh, we are getting attacked. We are getting... We, the levels of hate will not stop. Uh, and it won't stop when we're, when we're bowing down. It won't stop when we're trying to be, um, you know, peaceful or understanding or saying that, you know, oh, you know, we're different kind of Jews. There's no bad Jews and good Jews for, for the haters, when, for the anti-Semites of the world. They, we're all bad Jews. And if, we, and if we're not smart enough to understand it and if we're not going to take the battle to them and say, we'll not take that, we are... We are different type of Jews than you think we are because we're not going to allow anyone to hate us. And, and I think that's what's important for us to remember. When we remember the Holocaust, when we remember what happened to us all over the world, when we were shipped in wholesale numbers from one place to another and we were killed and butchered around the world, um, we are saying it's, we're not just going to remember what happened to us. We're going to remember what happened to us, and you need to remember it too. And you need to remember that because of 
of that, we will not allow the the you know an inch of hatred uh, like like we're seeing today. We're not going to allow it, and we're going to fight back. And, and I hope that the Jewish community will be smart enough to, and we are, we are smart enough. But we need to really be show them that um, um, we you know that we are a different type of Jews that, um, that we've learned the lesson of our past. And is there a political career in Israel emerging? from your mind? Everyone, everyone are asking me that. Uh, I do think about it. Um, maybe one day. Right now, uh, I'm focusing on, uh, on doing this. I'm, I'm finishing my book now. Uh, uh, it's called uh, Bad Progressive. Uh, you can look for it. I hope that in a few months I'll finish it. It'll probably take a, a few more months until it will be out. But um, um, my focus now is, I, I find that my voice is, uh, is powerful and that my story is effective, so I'm going to use it. And um, yeah, one day you'll see me at the Finally, I'm going to ask you this question. Despite all the labels, despite unpacking everything, despite our perceived differences in Jewish background, in sexuality, and um, you're Israeli, I'm not. We're exactly the same, aren't we? Exactly. I think we are. Yeah, exactly. And be first to hear the next show by subscribing now. Follow Johnny Gould on Twitter and Johnny Gould Show on Facebook. And if you liked what you heard today, leave a rating or review. That really helps bring more listeners to the show.